Welcome to Israel Mosaic, Land People's Story. I'm your host, Cora Tarod, and I'm coming to you from the Jezreel Valley in the Lower Galilee. I'm so glad that you can join me for today's podcast episode. Today's show is entitled, Stories from the Old Country. Best-selling author of Tuesdays with Maury, sports journalist, songwriter, and musician Mitch Album has said, some thought-provoking statements on memory, death, story, and family legacy. He once said, A story that is not told is quickly forgotten. He shares about memory powerfully when he says, and I am paraphrasing his words, There are two deaths in life. The first death is when you actually die. The second death is when no one ever remembers you or your story ever again. How many of us know or remember the names of our two sets of great-grandparents? Their stories, their lives, their hopes, their fears, their journeys, their triumphs, their bravery and sheer perseverance. It may take a little investigating and extensive research, but I believe it will be worth your while. Today, I want to recall with you and relive just a few moments in time and timeless stories from my own family tree. The Importance of Story So much has been written down and many things have been spoken about the power of stories. It has been said, and it is widely known, that the many peoples of the world, in every culture, are storied people. We move and we gravitate to story and we live in story. Storytellers are the most powerful people on earth. They are the ones who define, shape, and tell us who we really are. As one theologian has correctly stated, they provide us with a second skin. Looking in a mirror only gives us a mere glimpse of our outward appearances, stories last generations, and provide families with memories, legends, knowledge, real understanding, and eternal legacies. I'll never forget the time at college when a fellow student shared with me the powerful yet simply profound statement, everyone has a story. He was right then, and he is right now. One noted theologian once said about story, the most important thing is not that I know my own story. The important thing is that you know my story, and I know your story. Each day we live on the earth, we are telling and retelling our stories in some way, shape, and form. What will be our stories of tomorrow? What will they say about us, the people we are, and who we hope to become? Time waits for no man, but stories are waiting to be lived, shared, and written down. The goal of today's show. By the end of today's podcast, maybe you will want to go back and venture into your attic closet or basement and search for the dusty scrapbooks of family memories. Cherish the patchwork quilts that our grandparents passed on or simply just remember their lives and the legacies they left for us. Maybe you need to reconnect and get in touch with a relative or an aging loved one or grandparent and listen and write down their stories before it is too late. I was extremely fortunate to have met three of my great-grandparents as a little child. 
just meeting and knowing them for the short period of time that they were on earth when I was a child greatly impacted my life. On my father's side of the family, I can still remember being in the same room as my grandmother, who we all affectionately called Miss Iris, and her mother, Antun. They were both wonderful musicians. My grandmother played a very soulful and moving harmonica, and my great-grandmother, Antun, played a delicate and moving piano. I can still remember being with the both of them. As the sunlight came faintly into the living room in my Aunt Lee and Uncle Tony's house, soaking in the sweet sounds of harmony and the melodic flow of notes that filled the entire room. Today I'm going to share with you the lives of the Ashkenazim Jewish European community, some being members of my own family and others not. My mother's roots are Ashkenazi European in origin, and those roots, along with my Jamaican lineage, have also shaped and molded me into the person that I am today. A visit to Brooklyn. I can still remember the sights and sounds of my great-grandparents' home in Brooklyn. Although their home was in the borough of Brooklyn, it may have well been in the old country of Belarus. As a young child, I recall going into Zeta's and Bubba's home. Zeta was the Yiddish name we called my great-grandfather Nathan. Bubby was also the Yiddish name we called my great-grandmother Eva. As I stayed in their home, I remember sitting on their sofas that were covered in plastic and looking at the plastic fruit in a bowl resting on the coffee table nearby. Their home was decorated and designed very much like so many other European immigrants that called Brooklyn home in the early parts of the 20th century. Their neighborhood was a space where many lives had arrived, mostly from Europe, surviving without the mother tongue of English, struggling and striving to find work and trying to carve out an existence, competing with the endless number of other immigrants, striving for the same life to be lived. What made going to my great-grandparents' home so special was that I was able to get an inside look at what life was like for them back in their homeland of Belarus. I heard Yiddish being spoken and could not understand the many new vocabulary words that were all around me. It was many years later I would learn the meaning of Zeigesund and Gesundheit. As I reminisce on my experiences with Bubby and Zeta, I can now appreciate their home as memory, forever etched in my mind and a part of my own story. A home of love. PBS's greatest children's television host, Fred Rogers, once said about love, love is at the root of everything, all learning, all relationships, love, or the lack of it. My great-grandparents' home was filled with the most important quality that life has to offer, love. Grandma Bubby always seemed to have a warm pot of chicken soup on the stove, otherwise known as Jewish penicillin. The soup was her expression of family love. While at Nathan and Eva's home, I could see my grandfather, who we all called affectionately Poppy, beaming with pride of being in the presence of his family, his blood, and his kin. He knew how difficult his parents' lives had been just to get to this place and how many roads they still needed to travel, not just their lives, 
but all of his family. Looking back through the lenses of history, I can clearly see what defined my family get-togethers that consisted of my great-grandparents, grandparents, parents, uncle and aunt, cousins and siblings. It was love. Although our lives were filled with the many struggles, sorrows, and pains of life that every family goes through, when we all got together, we were family. The love at those much-anticipated family gatherings was so powerful, tangible, and real that it is impossible to fully describe or write down on paper. You had to be there to feel it, to experience its energy, and how it had the power to change your life if you let it. My childhood perspective, glasses, made me see that what made everyone's life so special was that it seemed as the older everyone got, the closer everyone got. I can still remember my great-grandmother, who was almost a hundred, being carried by my dad from the curb outside of our home onto the steps and into the house that we lived in, 8 Henry Avenue in Newburgh, New York, visiting Ellis Island. My wife Tikva and I had the privilege and opportunity to visit one of the busiest immigrant inspection stations in the entire United States. From 1892 to 1924, approximately 12 million immigrants arrived at the ports of New York and New Jersey. My wife and I went to Ellis Island over eight years ago and got to feel the experience, what our families went through. As we went on the ferry ride near the Statue of Liberty and visited the American Family Immigration History Center, we imagined the dangerous plight of our families entering America for the first time, never knowing if they would be granted permission to enter the new world or be sent back to the old one. Walking around Ellis Island, you could imagine their angst, the dreams, their unknowns, their fears, their hopes. Our family's possibilities all hinged on passing inspection from immigration officials and having a representative from their own families vouch for them. I looked around the refurbished buildings of yesteryear at Ellis Island. I could only imagine what it must have felt like. Their journeys made our lives possible, and now we must do them the service of remembering their lives and their life-changing stories from the old world into the new world. An Afternoon with Aunt Sylvia On November 8, 2014, on a brisk autumn afternoon, Tikva and I had the opportunity to visit my mother's aunt in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn. It was a visit that was cherished and treasured dearly because she shared stories and family history that I had never known. Those stories gave me a fuller appreciation of experiences that were almost lost to history and had now been found. As we were sitting on her beige carpet in her living room, actively listening, we were amazed by Aunt Sylvia's vivid memory of her own family, remembering events as if it were the other day in her own mind, alive and real. One of the stories she described was of her mother and grandmother escaping Drajna, Belarus, due to the widespread pogroms against Jewish people all over Europe. I'll let you hear what she had to say in her own words. Grandma, they, you know, lived in the 
was my mother and they were coming here and both of them they were escaping and they came down a hill both of them finally when they came here they went into Ellis Island because they said that they have a brother that was living here and they would take he would take care of them and they put him it's like it's like a jail so then they put him behind bars and he had to come to recognize him and then they would let her out he came there his name was Benny and he said no that's not my sister and they wouldn't let her out because she didn't know anybody here in America finally he remembered he came back and he said yes 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 this is my sister and they let her out with my mother who was 10 years old and they got her like a little apartment behind the bakery another story that she shared was her mother working in new york city as a young girl let's hear again what she had to say about this It was hard to leave Aunt Sylvia's home that evening. The lady who once held me in her arms as a little child also held the stories of our own family for future generations on end. The Holocaust in Europe It is impossible to speak of the history and plight of the Ashkenazim people without mentioning the genocide in Europe in the 1940s known in English as the Holocaust and in Hebrew as the Shoah. Although all of my mother's side of the family immigrated to America well before World War II, I was made intimately aware of this horrific event by an unexpected guest speaker at my class in Farmingdale named Alice Tenenbaum. I had grown up knowing all about the Holocaust. I remembered watching the play The Diary of Anne Frank, reading Uta Bauer's book Rethinking the Holocaust, visiting Yad Vashem in Jerusalem, and watching Schindler's List on the big screen and finding out all that I could about this event that changed history. Yet, this horrific genocide did not become completely real until someone who lived and experienced the horrors of the concentration camp firsthand and up close shared about her experience in ways that books, movies, documentaries, and magazines can never duplicate. As I mentioned in an earlier episode, Alice Tenenbaum 
visited my class on the campus of SUNY Farmingdale, she described in vivid detail her time at the concentration camp in Germany, narrowly escaping and miraculously coming out alive and intact. Sometime later, after Alice came to my class and shared, I visited her at her apartment with my brother and sister. Her story not only moved and touched me deeply, but my brother and sister as well. The European Ashkenazim come to Israel. After the Holocaust, Israel became a state and many different peoples from all over the world came to the land of their forefathers. The Ashkenazim came in great numbers out of the ashes of the Holocaust in Europe and brought their distinctive culture, custom, religious traditions, education, folk practices, Jewish cuisine, Yiddish humor, shtetl life, and klezmer music. In Isaiah 35.1 it says, The wilderness and the dry ground will rejoice and blossom like a rose. When the people of Israel return to their land, it responded to the people who in essence became one with the land. The plague that lived in Israel. For centuries upon end, Israel had been plagued with a deadly disease known as malaria. The number of people that had been infected and affected by this disease was staggering and made life in the Holy Land almost an impossibility. When the Zionists arrived in the 1920s, they decided to tackle this huge epidemic that was centralized in their newfound country by planting 400,000 eucalyptus trees to absorb the water so the breeding sites for mosquitoes would be minimalized. This was a noble idea, but did not solve the issue completely. Israel needed another remedy, and they needed it fast. Introducing Dr. Israel Kligler Israel Kligler was the microbiologist that is said to have single-handedly eradicated malaria in Israel, yet much has been lost on his work and his great achievement in history. Dr. Kligler was born in the country now known as Western Ukraine, spent time being educated at Columbia University, and studied biochemistry in the United States. In 1925, he took a contingency and a small coalition to Israel and created new methods to challenge the old methods of destroying malaria. The first method involved introducing gambusia fish to the water sources in Israel. The second method was using simple drainage and filling of mosquito breeding sites as a quick and permanent way to suppress malaria transmission. His innovative methods proved to get rid of mosquito larvae better than any other methods previously done. The results were the ending of this dreaded disease, but only after he died did this all become a living reality. All throughout Israel's illustrious history, miracles have come when the entire nation has been at the precipice of annihilation. From the Red Sea miracle to the Six-Day War to the stoppage of the deadly spread of malaria in the 1940s, the psalmist David writes and demonstrates beautifully God's eternal love and safety for his people, and it's captured wonderfully in Psalms chapter 17, verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Join me next time on Israel Mosaic, Land, People's Story, where we will conclude the last episode of the season.
with my own personal mosaic story. See you soon.